Hello and welcome to Ditching Hourly. I'm Jonathan Stark. Today I am joined by guest Corey Quinn. Corey is currently a cloud economist at the Quinn Advisory Group. He's got a history as an engineering director, public speaker, and cloud architect. He specializes in helping companies address horrifying AWS bills and curates Last Week in AWS. Com, a weekly newsletter summarizing the latest in AWS news, blogs, and tips sprinkled with a healthy amount of hilarious snark. Enjoy. Hey, Corey, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jonathan. A pleasure to be here. So I wanted to bring you on to talk a little bit about monetizing your expertise in non-standard ways. So you're a software guy, the people listening to this show are software people. And I want to talk about the newsletter. But first, could you tell people a little bit about who you are and what you do? Uh, my name is Corey Quinn. Let's start there. I spent 15 years or so, give or take, doing sysadmin style work in a variety of different roles, some of which uh, worked out better than others did. And over time, I started transitioning into being less and less interested by traditional full-time employment and started looking instead for and we say, I guess, ways of solving interesting and unique problems that seem to be afflicting a number of different companies, and I never saw them solved well. What I wound up landing on about a year and change ago now was fixing the horrifying AWS bill. That was a problem that I'd solved both as a consultant and as an employee a lot, and it felt like there was always more to go. So I spent the past year focusing on that particular problem, and... One of the challenges I ran into somewhat early on, which led to the newsletter, was that it's difficult to get companies to talk about budgeting style issues. There's a sense that if your cloud bill is high, that you've somehow done something wrong or irresponsible. So trying to, I guess, forge a platform and a voice for myself is what led to the whole newsletter getting started. Perfect. And how did that go? When did it start? How far into it are you? What's the, the sort of update? No, of course. I started at the end of March of 2017, this year. And what made that somewhat entertaining was that I had no idea when I started this, whether it was going to be wildly successful or whether I would wind up if I had two or three people who subscribed that weren't blood relatives. So I <laughs> set a goal for myself of I would send out six issues and then see where things landed. And the first issue wound up going out to 550 people. So it was one of those things of, okay, maybe there's something to this. Uh, as of this morning, I am now at 4,100 subscribers, and we are recording this uh, midway through December of the same year. So it's taken off in ways that I didn't necessarily expect it to. How did you get those first 500 users before the 500 subscribers before, the, uh, before that first one went out? I'm going to be very honest and say pure dumb luck. Uh, a couple people thought that my sense of humor was funny and they tweeted about it. They're influencers on the internet and they have something of a following themselves. And the response was, oh, if, if they think this might be funny, then I should subscribe too. And mm -hmm. one thing led to another in that sense. People still talk about it and I still get um, sharp spikes in new subscribers from time to time when something central to the Amazon ecosystem comes out. But since then, it's more or less been holding fairly steady at about 100 people a week. Mm, nice. So what, uh, what led you to start selling sponsorships for it? That wasn't, I don't believe that was at the very beginning, was it? Or did you, like, how did that come to be? 
No, at the very beginning, I thought this would just be a way for me to go ahead and uh, express with pastor my crappy sense of humor and sort of inflict it upon other people. Over time, I started to realize a few things. One, that I had a lot more people signed up than I thought I would. Secondly, holy crap, running this thing is more expensive than I thought it was going to be for a silly side project. And three, that this was a highly valuable audience to certain constituencies where you've got thousands of people who are actively involved in AWS in varying capacities. I have managers who've subscribed. I have engineers who are working with us day to day. I have people scattered throughout the AWS organization who are currently subscribed to this, which was a bit terrifying when those started coming through. But all in all, it's, it's just a great selection of people who are very interested in a very specific thing. These people are also generally fairly hard to reach through traditional advertising. Uh, they block ads. They don't have a whole lot of tolerance for people trying to throw hand-fisted uh, pitches at them. But they read this, and it does wind up converting extremely well from a sponsorship perspective. So it's sort of a perfect storm. Yeah, right. I mean, I would lump myself into that sort of cynical developer kind of, uh, you know, anti-advertising and sales persona. And there's that sort of this sort of magical combination, like you said, that perfect storm where the the snarkiness of your sense of humor and the, the kind of it's 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 sort of like, you know, it's fine, like that kind of doomsday cartoon of like, OK, this is all really hard and crazy and and boy, it could have been done better. And but it's hilarious. It's done in a hilarious way. So when I when you at least with me, when I see somebody sponsored in there, I'm like, these people must be great at whatever this, I don't even know what they are, but whatever it is, if I read it and I'm like, I need this sort of thing, I just assume that they've kind of passed your, passed muster with you. And it feels like from the tone of the email that your bar is relatively high. So it seems to me that that is the secret sauce in this particular case. It is. And no disrespect to other uh, platforms, podcasts and whatnot, but there, there's a certain group of rotating sponsors that always seem to be in the same places with the same pitch. Uh, this week and for the last few weeks, I've had uh, Cloud Health has done a number of sponsorships. They're the sponsor of the week. And what they do is a cost visibility and optimization platform into AWS spend. It's a terrific tool. It's something that I use personally when I'm on, uh, when I'm on a project because I'm not going to reinvent the wheel and come up with a better series of uh, a better platform than they've been able to build with an entire engineering team and product development staff. But you're right. The, the products that and services that I talk about do have to pass a certain element of muster. I'm not interested in telling my readership about this mattress that you can have shipped to their house. I'm not interested in pitching a domain registrar. And frankly, the economics of sponsorships for this model don't generally tend to work. Uh, historically, to my understanding, the way that these generally works is, okay, how many people do you have that you're subscribing to? Great. For Certain number of where a certain per subscriber will pay generally 10 to 50 percent, 10 to 50 cents each, and call it a day and per week. And historically, it's always been the lower end of that. That works terrifically for mass market stuff, but this is highly specific with respect to what the audience represents. So a lot of the traditional stuff doesn't necessarily pass muster, which is great because it's, I want. I want to have sponsors that resonate with this audience. If I have a sponsor whose message is completely useless and does not do anything in this space for my readership, then I'm really wasting everyone's time by, and not to mention the sponsor's money by accepting that. 
So it is important to me to have sponsors who resonate with the AWS ecosystem. If not, then I think it's just a boondoggle. Right. Yeah. So there's so there's certainly the specificity of the sponsors that's highly relevant. There's the value of the audience who are otherwise pretty hard to get in front of. But there's also your, you know, air quotes, personal brand that there's a, a certain trust that I believe your audience has in you. So I certainly have in you because of the tone that it it's like the it's sort of the three kind of legs of the stool so to speak so like just if the just because you know people are in front of this audience doesn't necessarily mean that you as the you know host of the the email is trusted you know what i mean so it's kind of like your seal of approval is worth something in front of this valuable audience so it kind of kind of it feels to me like it would have a uh, sort of leverage effect, like a multiplicative effect. So is this, we've been talking and talking about sponsors, uh, sponsorships for a technical mailing list that you created sort of on a whim. And the reason I invited you on the show is because it's non-trivial money. Like it's not, it's not, you know, just paying for your hosting costs, I'm sure. Is that, is, is that something that's taken you by surprise? Like how would you characterize, um, the importance of that income to your business, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. No, terrific. Uh, great question and very fair. It pays my rent in San Francisco at this point. So it's the sort of thing that really did take me aback. It's effectively, this, is, this would serve as a standalone business in virtually any other market on the planet. I just happen to live in one of the most criminally expensive places in the world. And so it's, and again, it's one of those things that ties into a larger plan for what I'm working on and how I, I guess, build an, a personal brand that resonates. The fact that it turned into something that also sheds revenue is, frankly, astonishing to me still, that, that, it's, that it's done as well as it has. It, I was worried initially that this would turn it into feeling a lot more like an obligation than something I enjoy. But mm-hmm. that hasn't happened yet. I still very much enjoy how I approach this. I will say that it does cause me at times to meter my tone a little bit more carefully. It, I, if I, for example, were to start castigating Amazon for something that they've done that I thought was legitimately out of bounds, I don't necessarily know that it would be respectful to my sponsors to do that in a sponsored issue because at that point, it would almost seem a tacit endorsement of whatever harangue I'm currently on. And... To be fair, it's probably better across the board if I don't start actively screaming at the multi-billion dollar company with historical uh, willingness to crush people. So that seems like it's for the best for everyone concerned. But I am cognizant of the fact that when a company sponsors it, they are taking a risk on me remaining on brand for what it is they're trying to do. Now, to be very clear, sponsors have no editorial control. They find out at the same time the rest of the world does what any given issue in a week is going to look like. But I also try not to give them unpleasant shocks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're and presumably they're familiar with the content, so there is a, probably an expectation that you know you're going to be you know poking fun at least at. Uh, Amazon or companies who use Amazon, especially the S3 thing. Uh, and, you know, uh, that's, I, I would expect that um, a sponsor who was familiar with the list is, is can kind of expect that. Uh, but I do, yeah, I, I get your point that adding money into the mix does kind of 
it can change the vibe a little bit. It's, you know, you said it hasn't become a drag, but do you, did you find that turning it into a money-making proposition changed your level of discipline about it? I don't know if it was the money that necessarily did that. What did was the sense of scale. When I launched this, it was as an MVP that was targeted at a six-week run. I did it all in Google Docs, and that was the end of it. Now I have a frankly, hilarious uh, level of automation complexity around the entire thing. I wrote a bunch of custom code in Python that winds up gathering from my store of truth for links every week. It's a template generated uh, newsletter that spits it out in Markdown. I have automated validation on all the links to make sure they're still good. I programmatically inject my tracking information into the links. It goes from, uh, it's achieved a relatively high degree of technical sophistication. I'm trying to cut a few more things over and teach myself React along the way. But when that's done, I think it's going to make a fascinating blog post, um, both as an architectural story of how I built this thing iteratively, as well as a terrible warning of what you absolutely should not do if you're writing a newsletter and want to get started. But it's something that's, that's evolved through necessity because it does become something that needs to have a little bit more rigor and discipline brought to it. Uh, a few weeks back, I had an issue where I completely pooched the link validation logic and it pooched the sponsor link that was dropped in. So I sent a reissue of one more time from the top with an apology to the sponsor at the time. And I, I feel like that was, I didn't get any negative pushback on that, which I appreciate. It's I'm always worried that people feel that, oh, well, sponsors are just there to keep the lights on. And they're really not. I view them as partners to some extent in what I'm doing. And when I drop the ball with my crappy code quality, which fair, you, you do what you can to make it right for them. And in this case, a resend made sense. So making sure that everyone was on board and was okay with what had happened was important to me. It's it's one of those old saws in business. It's not about how things go and things are terrific. It's when they screw up. How do, you, how do you handle that? How do you react? So I do my best to avoid not inflicting myself more than I need to on my subscribers. But there are agreements that want, we want to make sure everything is reasonable and fair. And how would I want to be treated if the shoe were on the other foot? Exactly. Well, cool. That's, that's super exciting. So to kind of recap for folks, uh, sort of started this on a lark. You've got a really strong personal brand and tone and perspective, and you attracted a really valuable market. And you were able to take this expertise that you have with AWS and turn it into a respectable size side business with, uh, you know, some real income. So kudos to you for that. Do you have any uh, maybe tips for listeners who are perhaps considering taking this kind of approach to, to monetize their expertise, like, you know, a mailing list or something like that? Absolutely. Uh, I Since probably 2012, I've been speaking at an increasing number of conferences and giving talks. And my sense of humor in the newsletter is exactly the kind of thing I inject into my talks. But I've never seen the staying power or viral aspect that the newsletter has brought to the table from any of the talks that I've given. There's something about doing it in writing and showing up in front of people consistently that has more power than, thanks, you really love that talk I gave and it was terrific. See you next year. And th there's no, con there's no cont continuity. There's no staying power behind that from, in my experience. So having something that people can reference and look back on is handy. I think that everyone needs to find their own voice. I think that if someone tried to do exactly this type of sense of humor, it probably wouldn't work for them in quite the same way that it's worked for me. It, I mean, there are still times it gets me into trouble. 
it comes down to writing with your own voice and finding something authentic that you want to say. I mean, the big reason I started this newsletter in the first place was that it didn't exist. There was no roundup of everything that touched uh, the AWS ecosystem. If there had been, I wouldn't have bothered. Now that it exists, people are starting to reference it as a resource in this space, and I find that extremely gratifying. But find a need and fill it is the old saw that everyone tends to listen to, and make sure that you can do it in a way that's sustainable. People have tried to get me to start my own podcast around this stuff, but as you said, that's not something that I enjoy in the same way. This is That's something that would feel an awful lot like work. And mm-hmm. while I'm not entirely opposed to it, the, the logistics of that are staggering. Awesome. That's a great place to leave it. Thanks so much, Corey, for coming on. Where can people find out more about you online? Terrific question. They can find me at uh, my newsletter is probably the easiest way at lastweekinaws.com. Whack, subscribe. I'll be in your inbox every Monday morning, Pacific time. And you will probably never forgive me for that. <laughs> Seriously, folks, sign up for it. It is a scream. Very, very funny. And uh, like Corey said, it's really useful. I've, I've pointed a number of developers at it who I know use AWS and it's really a it's a powerful and valuable service. It, it makes me feel like I'm up to date with stuff that you just can't. You just it's just really hard to, to keep up to date with uh, on your own because it's coming from all over the place. All right, well, thanks again, Corey, and uh, dear listener, I hope you join us again next time for Ditching Hourly. Bye. The next time somebody asks you what's your hourly rate, I want you to tell them that you don't have one. To learn what to say next, please go to valuepricingbootcamp.com and sign up for my free five-day email course. That website, again, is valuepricingbootcamp.com. Hey, Jonathan again. Do you have questions about how to improve your business? Things like value pricing your work instead of billing for your time. Or positioning yourself as the go-to person in your space. Or maybe productizing your services so you never have to have another awkward sales call or spend hours writing another custom proposal. Book a one-on-one coaching call with me and get answers to these questions and others in the time it takes you to get ready for work in the morning. Best of all, you're covered by my 100% satisfaction guarantee. If at the end of the call you don't feel like it was worth it, just say the word and I'll refund your purchase in full. To book your one-on-one coaching call, go to jonathanstark.com call, C-A-L-L. That URL again is jonathanstark.com slash call. Hope to see you there.